Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, Mar uh, not March, January uh, the 9th, 2024. Couple, of, I've got March on the brain because a couple of years ago, actually three years ago in March, had my old friend Sherry Turkle, one of um, America's leading interpreters and critics of technology, on the show to talk about AI and the perils of pretend empathy. Sherry Turkle has a particular interest in empathy, both as a scholar of computers, of robots, and also. Um, as a human being, uh, her last book was The Empathy Diaries, a memoir in which she writes about herself in terms of empathy. And of course, her work on computers is all about how computers can and can't be empathetic. Many of you be familiar with her excellent work, Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age. It's all about Sherry's made a career in some ways about how we can and can't talk to technology, to smart machines, to robots. Um, I've written about it as well. Many other people in our age of AI are becoming increasingly focused on how and why uh, machines can or can't be empathetic. And we're back on that subject today with my guest, Eve Herald, another scholar, journalist, someone who spent a lot of time thinking about these issues. She has a book out appropriately titled Robots and the People Who Love Them. Um, she's talking to us from Greenville in South Carolina. Uh, the book is out today. Congratulations, uh, Eve. I assume you wrote it rather than a robot. No AI here, no generative, a generative uh, tech. Didn't use chat GPT to write the book. No. No, and thank thank you for having me. But um, you know, things are moving forward so quickly that Chat GPT was released a little after the book final had already gone into production. So um, I was able to get some mention GPT. It's a big topic, as I'm sure you know. Um, but this was this was all me. This was all human human hands only. Good. Uh, were you surprised, or have you been surprised with? Um, with the speed of, of, of which ChatGPT uh, has shaken the world. Uh, your last book before this one was called Beyond Human, How Cutting-Edge Science is Extending Our Lives. So as a journalist and writer and thinker, you've been in this space a while. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, it is amazing. It, it's truly amazing how fast ChatGPT is being adopted and used for all different kinds of purposes. Um, you know, I personally think that it was released a little early because we still have issues with accuracy, uh, you know, with uh, hallucinations uh, and, and just making things up. So that's a problem with ChatGPT, but I'm assuming that those bugs will be worked out. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those amazing transformative technologies of our time. Yeah, and I, I read an interesting piece recently uh, that suggested that it's not so bad when these algorithms hallucinate because it makes them more human and more more spontaneous and more surprising. Is there any truth to that? I mean, what what, what do you make of this idea of machines hallucinating? 
I think it is going to kind of restrict to some extent the actual uses that we have for generative AI at this time until the bugs are worked out. Um, you know, I, it's, it's a great technology, but again, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, feeling more comfortable with a technology that shows empathy or somehow has some human traits, some famed human traits. And this I wrote about in my book because a lot of research supports that now that people who, when they interact with robots, um, are more comfortable with them when the robots occasionally make some kind of mistake, have a little misfire, um, and otherwise are not seen as being too perfect. Robots that are too perfect are a little threatening. Eve, we've had this conversation before on the show. Um, there seems to be something weird going on. I mean, robots in themselves, of course, for many of us are weird. But the weirder thing is that humans perhaps are becoming more and more robotic. As we try to make robots that are more human, humans themselves are becoming more robotic, more predictable, uh, more harder to distinguish from one another. Is that just a, a kind of cultural conservatism or, 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 or is there any truth to that? The, robot, the robotic quality of 21st century humans, especially on the internet and social media. Mm -hmm. with, there's that's a very good question, Andrew, and uh, there's actually lots of evidence to support that. And Sherry Turkle, one of my favorite authors uh, that you mentioned a few minutes ago, um, has written a lot about how, uh, you know, when we interact with technology, whether it's social media uh, or embodied robots or, or chat bots online, um, we tend to conform ourselves to the robot to the way it speaks, the type of things it says, uh, the way it presents itself. And we kind of do this unconsciously because of the fact that we very widely consider robots and AI to be more intelligent than we are. So it, mm. it, it, it causes us to want to emulate them. And- uh, you We know, want their respect, in other words. We want their respect. We want them to like us, as, as irrational as that sounds. Um, but, you know, as much as we like to think of ourselves as rational beings, our social and emotional wiring says something else about us. It says that we really, as, as Sherry Turkle said, we're cheap dates when it comes to being, um, you know, sucked in by technology that appears to be alive, that creates an illusion that it's alive. So, so maybe your, your book could be alternatively titled People and the robots who appear to love them. <laughs> That's a good one. Thanks for the idea, maybe for a sequel. <laughs> what kind, I mean, is it all of us, uh, Eve? Um, what kind of people love robots? Again, the conventional notion, particularly from techno-skeptics like myself, is that it's people who are rather insecure about themselves, who don't have a, a notion of who or what they are, so they, that they want to be loved by robots and they want to be intimate. Is there any truth to that or is that unfair on the kind of people who love robots? Uh, no, that's that's fair. Um, but I would point out that um, people of all ages and all walks of life tend to respond in a very positive, embracing way uh, to robots that are interactive. 
So, you know, there, there is a widespread appeal, but at the same time, there are segments of society that are particularly vulnerable to being drawn in and become dependent on the robots, the social robots, and, um, and not to their, not to their benefit. You know, I mean, we have, for example, children who are very impressionable and love robots, almost universally love them. Um, we have people who are somewhat socially isolated and lack social skills for some reason, uh, whether it's their life circumstances or their experience or whatever. Um, and they will be, tend to be more dependent on robot interaction and replacing their you know, true person-to-person -person in real life human interaction um, with a robotic interaction, which unfortunately the research has shown and Turkle and others have written about this, that um, our social skills tend to atrophy when we spend too much time on social media or interacting with, in, with technology. I mean, isn't that our old problem of the chicken and the egg? People without social skills tend to uh congregate on social media and it only compounds their lack of social skills and probably the same is true of robots very true it exacerbates the challenges of pe of the people who are most vulnerable to this technology so that's something to be concerned about we are speaking with um eve harold uh, an expert on human robot Relations, interactions. She has a new book out, Robots and the People Who Love Them. Uh, do you love them, Eve? You know, Andrew, I love them and I'm a little bit concerned about them at the same time. Um, you know, I've interacted with a couple of these robots and um, I have to say, it's very hard not to be sucked in into, you know, once you start combining things like movement, speech, uh, back and forth conversation, uh, possible, possibly facial expressions and body language on the part of these robots. Um, it's very hard not for, for your brain not to get confused and to not assume at least on some level, there's an inner life going on there. There's consciousness there. You know that it's not rationally, but your your brain is getting some crossed wires that are kind of telling you that maybe it's alive. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is a very, uh, it's an intriguing thing, the way we respond to robots. Um, I'm a little concerned, though, because I think, again, you know, talking about vulnerable people who could be sucked in and kind of have their social skills atrophy, we're all uh, open to that. That could happen to anybody. Yeah, to, to more or less degree. One um, of the things that seems to be true across the board when it comes to the digital revolution is this exaggerated uh, highs and lows, high ends, low ends, done away with the middle. Uh, it's done it in the music industry and in content industry. It's done it with a winner-take-all economy. I wonder mm -hmm. whether the danger, and you've touched on this before, whether the danger is true of robots too. There'll be a, a super high end of robots, highly sophisticated mm -hmm. machines that will be programmed to work with us, the kind of machines that appeared in 
uh, Ishigawa's uh, Clara and the Sun, who mm -hmm. are almost indistinguishable from humans. Um, and then there'll be a low end of cheap, bad humans, rather like cheap, bad social media. Is that a trend that we we should fear and be and be cognizant of? Well, it is one of the things that is actually something to be concerned about for the foreseeable future, because right now um, the social robots that are available, say, for child care and education, um, run anywhere from, you know, maybe five to nine thousand uh, dollars, which, you know, kind of puts them in a category where they're accessible at this time for people who are fairly affluent. Um, but I do expect once the, the technology is highly adopted, uh, uh, you know, it's being adopted now by nursing homes and schools and uh, some organizations and, and also by a lot of people in Japan. Uh, once that, you know, we get the economies of scale going there, the prices will come down as the technology goes up. So eventually, um, they may not be so, you know, prohibitive in price to the average person. You brought up the J word, Japan. Sherry writes a lot about this. A lot of her research was in Japan. Um, do you, uh, in your research and in your writing, have you observed, uh, have you observed significant cultural differences between the way in which, for example, the Japanese have embraced robots versus other cultures or when it comes down to it, does everyone like robots and or love robots, to borrow your word, as much as, as any other culture? Or for that matter, gender, men, women, you mentioned that children tend to love robots. Mm. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that Japan is an early adopter. Um, so, you know, we're seeing a use of social robots more in Japan probably than any other place in the world right now. Um, and um, I write about this as well. You know, the Japanese view of robots is different than ours because of cultural differences. So, uh, you know, in Japan, robots are generally uh, depicted as being very cute, very, very affectionate, uh, fun, entertaining. That's that tends to be the overriding concept of the Japanese public. Uh, of, of robots. So there's less trepidation, less fear. In the U.S., it's quite different because we are inundated with a lot of science fiction media that, you know, Terminator-style robots destroying the world, you know, that that sort of things. We, we have a lot of uh, doomsday uh, vibe around robots at this point in our time. So uh, in a way, it's a little bit uh, more of an uphill climb in the U.S. than it is in Japan. We did a show yesterday on the idea of the technology that links brains. Lots of thoughts about how this new digital technology is challenging, undermining, replacing conventional, classic Western individualism. Are there differences in terms of how we think about robots between more collectivist cultures like China and the United States. In other words, a culture like United States premised on, a, on an extreme version of individualism, um, does that make the culture more or less in love with robots? I think it makes us more in love with robots. And, um, you know, it's interesting because in Japan, 
there, there's a, a lot of loneliness. I mean, there, it's a very community-oriented culture, as you said. Um, at the same time, just because of demographic changes and other cultural forces, there's a lot of loneliness in, in Japan. And one of the uses of these robots that I think up to a point is very good uh, is to have them as companions for older people who are people who are isolated, people who are disabled and can't get out of their houses very much. Um, I think we can, to some extent, uh, relieve some of the loneliness. But again, there's danger in that. Uh, that there's danger in that too, because we don't want people again who are are losing their social skills to become even more isolated. So it's a mixed, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. But I do think if once we get the right perspective on these things, which we don't have yet because it's too early, there isn't enough on the ground experience with them. Once we get the right perspective, I think they could alleviate a lot of the uh, loneliness in the world. We're talking with Eve Harold, the author of Robots and the People Who Love Them. If you're looking for a real companion and you don't fancy a robot, I would strongly suggest subscribing to Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. Might not talk back to you or do your washing or have sex with you, but it will intrigue you. It's an excellent new publication. Uh, I'm going to run a short ad and then we'll be back with Eve Harold to talk more about robots and the kind of people who love them. So don't go away, anyone. We'll be back in a second. The real Andrew and the real Eve. No robots in this show. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. You can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are speaking with Eve Harold, the author of Robots and the People Who Love Them. Uh, Eve, are books in an odd way a precursor of robots? Well, you know, that's another interesting topic because I've always observed that uh, in, in my lifetime and going back as far as I know historically in literature, movies, and culture, the writers and artists have to a great extent predated, you know, they've been the cutting edge of new technologies of getting those ideas out there. And then later, you know, those technologies are actually developed, some of them at least, a lot of them really. Um, and then, you know, they, they become uh, something that's accessible to the average person. So, you know, I, there's a great quote, I don't remember who said it, but it says, if you want to know where society is going, follow the artists. And I found that to be true. Where are the artists going, though, with robots? Some are very hostile. In, in last month, I was in Barcelona. We did a, an event. We're doing a series of events this year on AI and art and, and, and its existential threat. Writers are suing open AI. So, so where do artists stand on, on, on robots? Are artists the kind of people who love them? I would say artists are the kind of people who are fascinated by them because they're generally fascinated with life. Um, so, you know, but again, we run into that cultural issue where in this country, at least, 
there's a very fearful, you know, feeling towards robots. There's a there's a lot of trepidation as far as what will they do? What will they will they take over society? Will will they enslave us? Even some people, the major doomsayers, you know, will they exterminate us? I'm not a doomsayer, and I'm not on the uh, I'm not totally in the in the um, on the side of like the heroic narrative of AI and robots solving all our human problems. Um, but I think we're somewhere in the middle. We need to get this right. We need to uh, we need to have more experience with the, these robots because we won't really know unfortunately, how they're truly affecting society until people start using them and and then things come out and then things change and and the culture, it, you know, gets some kind of, you know, new thread uh, that everybody's following. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're, you know, they're they're great in so many ways, you know, a little concerning uh, again you know, perspective is the key. We need to keep the perspective and we need to keep... Uh, yeah, we, that goes without saying. Um, we, I'm sure you didn't... We don't need to read your book to know that. Um, Kubrick's great movie, Dr. Strangelove, featured some crazy military types. As robots and robotic technology begins to dominate uh, war, we're all familiar with some of the products now being produced by companies like Boston Dynamics. Mm -hmm. uh, are, are military planners and generals, are they the type of people who love robots? Are, 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 are robots going to transform war? Because that seems unambiguously scary. It, it is. It, it's one of the most concerning things. And yes, I do think that robots will transform war. And to a great extent, they already are. So the, mili the U.S. military is embracing robots uh, on a level that is not well known uh, to, you know, the culture at large. They use drones, of course. Drones are the most, uh, you know, most known, most well known. Um, but they also have robots that, you know, made by Boston Dynamics mostly uh, that uh, can walk, can jump, can walk, climb stairs, can see through walls can, uh, you know, trigger all, uh, carry carry powerful weapons, uh, can um, tr trigger all kinds of, of effects that would escalate warfare if they go too far. So, you know, this is something we need to be concerned about. And Keep on saying we. Who, who is we? Governments? You and I? Our listeners? All of us. Everything. But when we speak about we, it's so vague that in the end it slips between all the cracks. Who who is your book particularly addressed to in terms of policy? Oh, it's it's addressed to the entire gamut of readers. I mean, people who are interested in science, but the general public as well, um, because this is going to affect all of us. Um, I hope uh, you know this will reach people in government, in policy, who are you know trying to work out some initial regulations of and mm, well, they are doing the the Biden administration. We've done lots of shows on their initiatives on AI. Should people in the U.S., for example, should they be asking their local congressperson uh, what their policy is on robots? They absolutely should. If you're if you're interested and you're concerned 
uh, absolutely ask and find out what kind of controls and and uh, parameters are being set for how these these technologies can be used. Um, so, I mean, we're just now, but you know, the problem is that um, technology moves forward very, very quickly these days. I mean, it's going at a lightning pace. Uh, human nature doesn't change. It changes very slowly, if at all. So we're in the gap. We're in the gap here. Uh, you know, uh, we don't have regulations that keep up with the technology currently. And that's what needs to happen. And I think, and to some extent, we need to kind of tap the brakes here a little bit on, on some of the generative AI uh, and some of the things that we're doing with robots even because- And you say tap the brakes. Uh, what exactly does that mean? And who's gonna tap the brakes? Well, unfortunately, Andrew, I don't think anybody's gonna really tap the brakes unless it's government. I mean, you know, the, the business model behind, of all, behind all of this is to get uh, to get these new technologies out into the market as quickly as possible in order to get the largest market share. Uh, so we can't expect, I mean, expecting uh, the, you know, the robotic companies and AI companies to, you know, police themselves is kind of a, in my mind, you know, kind of a, a, a lost cause. Uh, because they have financial imperatives. So, what about on the legal front? There's, I'm sure you know, uh, currently, uh, uh, New York Times is taking OpenAI to court, claiming that its intelligence is stolen from New New York Times content, proprietary content. Many writers are suing OpenAI. Are these robots, in your mind, the contemporary robots? Uh, are they? Because they seem so human, are they stealing from us? Should we be wary of that? Um, are they mirrors in which we're not, in which we haven't really been told that they are mirrors? So when we look at them or when we talk to them, we're talking to ourselves without really understanding that we're talking to ourselves. That's exactly right. Uh, we are in a feedback loop with ourselves when we're in a relationship with a robot. That robot is programmed to uh, cater to our every whim. Uh, to uh, adopt our reflect our tastes, our preferences, our interests. And in a way, that's one of the more pernicious sides of it, I think, you know, because that is socially isolating in itself. We had uh, last week uh, a therapist, a, a UK based therapist, Annie Zimmerman. She has a new book out, The Pocket Therapist. I know you've suggested that robots might make better therapists than real or human therapists. Um, therapy, we live in a, a therapeutic culture. Why might robots make such good therapists? Is it the media and the message coming together in a sense? Uh, no, I, I think it's more about the noise in human relationships. And that noise is fear of judgment and fear of rejection. And what people are finding when they use uh, these online chatbots that do ch do therapy, they do a form of cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, one of them is called Wobot. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, people open up to these machines in ways that they wouldn't open up to a human therapist. Now that said, I don't, I think they're going to remain at a certain level. I think there's still a great need for human therapists. Are they um, in, in an odd way then a, uh the uh, 
2.0 of the priest and the confession. No one ever saw the confession. You just sit in front of the confessional uh, and, and, and tell God or the priest or whoever else was listening what you'd done wrong. Uh, 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 do these robot therapists uh, exist in that tradition of the, the confessional? Oh, I think they align uh, very easily with that tradition, with a lot of our cultural traditions. Um, you know, they they definitely do. Um, but you know, robots, they're they've only they'll only go so far in therapy. Uh, you know, they treat the crabgrass issues of mental health like low grade depression. You know, um, anxiety, PTS, things like that. But what happens when someone goes to goes on Wobot, for example, and says, I feel like I'm about to snap and I'm going to go postal and shoot up an, an elementary school. And, and that to me, that's where you that's that's where action needs to be taken. Some kind of intervention needs to take place. And it's not clear to me how. Uh, or if that kind of intervention. Yeah, and I, it's a good point. I'm sure that will happen. And then there'll be a huge public uproar about why or not this software company didn't report it to the police. Mm -hmm. But it seems as if we're just digging a deeper and deeper loneliness hole here. People become lonely and lonelier, less and less associated with their communities, more and more cut off, more dependent on technology. So by going to a, a robot therapist, they're only compounding their problems. Well, what we're in is a narcissistic echo chamber. Um, and oh, and I, that one, not Eve. Yeah. could have put that in the title too, a narcissistic echo chamber. Right. And, and as you mentioned before, people are not really aware of this, that that's what's happening because of the way our brains work when we interact with these, these uh, beings, so to speak. Um, the wires get crossed in our brains when we encounter something that looks vaguely or somewhat uh, human or alive, uh, has movement, makes eye contact, remembers everything we say about, say to them, responds in an appropriate way in conversation. We literally get confused, even if we rationally know that, you know, this is this is all make believe. Well, it's part of the problem. I mean, it's part of the process that the narcissistic echo chamber is 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 the signal and the noise so it all compounds mm -hmm. each other we, let's end our uh some people believe that uh we should always end this way let's end with some sex eve um you you suggest not only might robots make better therapists but better lovers too in our n narcissistic echo chamber culture where we're desperate to be loved and wanted and to be champions of one thing or another. Um, can we program these robots to tell us that we're the best? Oh, and, in, yeah. and, if they, and if we do, does that make us the best in the bedroom? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think uh, it, it definitely is something to, you know, that might play a role. But again, we need to be careful here because uh, you know, this is the danger in love robots. They can cater to you, flatter you, tell you I love you, you're beautiful all day long, 
be, you know, attentive and, and on a level uh, that no human being could possibly compete with. And so again, people in these love relationships are not learning and growing as human beings. They're not, they're not making true personal progress the way a human relationship, the gold standard would, in, would help you do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big concern. In other words, Eve, don't have sex with your robot. Well, I wouldn't say that because I have to say, Andrew, you know, there are segments of the population who really don't have access to any. Oh, in other words, do have sex with your robot. Well, I would say on a limited basis, I would say prioritize having sex with humans. And if that, if all else fails, you know, you may, you know, consider, oh, excuse me, that was... Did you hear that? That was thunder. Yeah, that was God speaking, warning yeah. you that you shouldn't be telling people to have sex with their robots, Eve Harrell. Oh, man. Good timing. 